You're listening to an Ono Media Podcast. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and today I'm going to bring you four small updates to multiple cases in progress, and we're just going to jump right into it with Ruby Frankie. Okay, remember, this is the mother accused of abusing her kids, which I'm going to tell you guys, that sadly doesn't even make news most days. There's a lot of abuse going on out there. But in this particular case, it did make news because Ruby was a self-proclaimed good mother, like she just called herself that, who had a YouTube channel called Eight Passengers. Now, the channel wasn't always controversial. At first, it was Ruby and her husband navigating raising six kids while homeschooling and also making their religion a major tenant of the family. And that YouTube channel and Ruby's marriage to Kevin and especially the children suffered greatly over the years of filming And then eventually, the YouTube channel was removed due to abusive parenting techniques used by Ruby. Then her marriage was destroyed when Ruby linked up in a business venture with Jody Hildebrand. Okay, she's another Utah woman who used extreme tactics to aid people in their relationships, whether it be like parent-child or husband-wife or boss-coworker. Now, the two together started a new business and a new YouTube channel called Connections. And the health of the Frankie family, well, I'm just going to be honest, the new business with Jody destroyed that already damaged family. Kevin and Ruby were no longer living together. The two oldest Frankie children seemed to be estranged from their parents at times. And the four remaining children were being abused by Ruby and now also allegedly by Jody. And all of it was revealed in August when Ruby's 12-year-old son escaped from Jody's home and walked to a neighboring house. Now, I'll remind you that the 911 call in this case is so disturbing. Now, the neighbor who calls actually starts to break down when he's explaining that the child has marks on both his ankles and wrists, signifying he's been tied up. Presumably with duct tape because there's remnants of duct tape around the young boy. And the child was also very, very thin. And rightfully so. He was asking the neighbor for food because he had been starved. When cops arrived, they were directed to Jody's home, where they also found Ruby's 10-year-old daughter, who was also very, very thin and malnourished. Both children were treated at a local hospital. Okay, that's a very brief telling of what happened with the abuse on the kids. And you can find, I've covered this case a couple of times, so you can go back and find it. But we've got some specific things we're going to look at today. And this is where it starts. Ruby and Jody were arrested for child abuse, and they have been incarcerated ever since that day. And as a true crime follower, we've just been waiting to see who would break first, or if either of them would break And if you guessed that Ruby would be the first to break, you were right. On Monday, the 41-year-old entered a plea deal in St. George's 5th District Court in Utah. Ruby pled guilty to four out of the six aggravated child abuse felony charges against her. And then the two remaining charges, they were dismissed. She will be sentenced on February 20th of next year. 
But here's where it gets really disturbing. The plea agreement says that Ruby helped intentionally or knowingly inflict serious physical injuries upon her two youngest children for at least three and a half months prior to the arrest. The plea lays out the physical torture that she inflicted on her children. The 12-year-old was forced to do wall sits. He was forced to work outside in extreme heat. And then as well, he had to carry heavy loads up and down stairs for hours at a time and then repeat all of those things the next day and then the day after that and then the day after that. It was repeated abuse. Now, as the abuse escalated, Ruby made the boy remain outside for hours at a time during both the day and night. The boy suffered multiple sunburns during the summer months. And you guys, it actually gets worse. While being forced to remain outside in the extreme summer weather, her son was denied water. And then if it was discovered that he had secretly drank some water, he would be punished. The child was also not allowed any entertainment. And when he was fed, he was given flavorless food while he watched others eat regular meals. Now, the plea deal also says that the 12-year-old tried to escape in July, which led to Ruby regularly binding his feet and hands. Ruby acknowledged that she would use two sets of handcuffs, one around one wrist and one around one ankle, and then she would secure each handcuff to a solid and stationary object. This is why the neighbor who called 911 could see remnants of duct tape and severe wounds on his ankles and wrists. All right, are you ready for more? Ruby also acknowledged that she forced her son's head underwater. She cut off his oxygen by smothering him with her hands and she kicked him while wearing boots. Now the plea agreement says she told her son that all of the abuse, everything that was being done to him was an act of love. Now, the plea agreement also references Ruby's 10-year-old daughter, saying she was denied food and water and was also forced to do physical tasks in the summer heat. According to Ruby's statement, the girl was injured at least twice due to working barefoot in the summer heat. She was also forced to run barefoot on dirt roads for extended periods. Now, the filing says she was told that she was possessed and evil and that the punishments were necessary for her to be obedient and to also repent. She also was told that the abusive things being done to her were in order to help her. Now, the plea agreement states that Ruby will testify against Jody Hildebrand, and in return, the Washington County Attorney's Office will remain neutral for future hearings before the Utah Board of Pardons and Parole. Now, Jody's next court appearance is scheduled for December 27th. So we'll just have to wait and see if she is trying to work a deal. And Ruby's plea agreement, well, the four counts that she pleaded guilty to on Monday, each one of those comes with a penalty of 1 to 15 years in prison and a $10,000 fine. Now, those punishments will run consecutively. So say she gets the minimum for each count. She would then spend four years in prison one year for each count. And then lastly, as I told you a few weeks ago, Kevin has filed for divorce from his already estranged wife. He does seem to be rebuilding relationships slowly with his two older children and also with extended family members. 
This story is far from over. I'll be watching family court rulings as well as Jody's appearance in court next week. And when I have more information, I'll bring you that information. And now this story from Saturday out of Texas. Police were directed to a jack-in-the-box parking lot late Saturday night because a car that clearly had sustained damage in some sort of accident was parked there and a man was slumped over the steering wheel. When police approached the car, they noticed a gaping hole in the passenger side windshield. They also found a very drunk and passed out 31-year-old man named Nestor Flores. Now, all of that was actually not that unusual. I mean, it's a Saturday night and drunk driving is a deadly and unfortunate thing officers consistently deal with. But what they found in the passenger seat was unusual. Officers discovered a dead man missing his legs, and they actually knew where the man's legs were. They were 38 miles back down Interstate 30, where Flores had hit the homeless man and then just kept on driving. Yeah, he drove 38 miles to a jack-in-the-box with a dead man missing his legs next to him and a gaping hole in his windshield. And when he arrived at the jack-in-the-box, he just casually strolled into the restaurant with blood on his hands and his shirt, and he asked for a phone charger to borrow, and then he went back out to the car, and he passed out. Now, this story gets worse when I'm going to tell you that he was slumped over that steering wheel for hours before police were alerted to the car by a person exiting the drive through at the jack-in-the-box. When Flores became alert enough to talk with officers, he said he actually thought he hit a deer during the collision. Now, white settlement police chief Christopher Cook told reporters the following, when you're impaired to this level, where you hit a pedestrian on the roadway and you think it's an animal, that's a significant impairment. You think? <laughs> like wowzers. Okay. Now, the chief also said that Flores was so drunk that when he was placed inside the patrol vehicle, the entire car smelled like a brewery. Police have yet to receive the results from the blood alcohol test, but they have arrested Flores on a pending charge of intoxication manslaughter. And the 45-year-old homeless man that Flores allegedly hit and killed, well, his name is yet to be released since police are trying to track down family. I truly, truly hope that they are successful in that effort. Now, this wasn't the first time that Flores has been in trouble for driving drunk. In 2020, he was convicted of the charge after Plano police pulled him over for speeding on the Dallas North Tollway. Back then, he told police that he had ingested one glass of wine. And now this quick update to the story we covered on Rise and Crime back on November 9th of this year. And I wanted to bring this update to you because so many of you messaged me about how frustrated you were with the mother of the gunman because the gunman was actually a gun boy. He was just six years old. All right, I'm going to give you the quick reminder. This behavior challenged first grader brought a gun to school and shot his teacher. And during the update in November, we talked about the teacher suing the school district due to her injuries and her perception that the school did not take the necessary measures to protect her from the child. Well, also in that update, I said the boy's mother, 25-year-old Deja Taylor, 
had pled guilty to felony child neglect because she did not properly secure the gun that the first grader used to shoot and wound his teacher. Well, on Friday, Deja was finally sentenced to five years in prison with three years suspended. That means Deja will serve two years behind bars and she will also face two more years of supervised probation that includes substance abuse treatment, parenting classes, and then some mental health treatment. And unfortunately for Deja, this isn't the only prison sentence she is facing. Last month, she also was sentenced to 21 months in prison on two federal felony charges for using marijuana while in possession of a firearm and for also making a false statement about her drug use when purchasing that firearm. Now, if you want to be really outraged about how the child's behavior reached a point that he brought a gun to school and shot his teacher, I would recommend listening to that November 9th episode. My prayer is that that young child, who's now seven years old, is getting the help and love that he needs. Okay, you guys, we totally need some good news following those last three updates. So here it is. A British boy has been found alive after six years of being missing and possibly at some points presumed dead. We have to jump back to late September of 2017. Alex Beatty is just 11 years old and his family is what I would call non-traditional. The adults in his life are undecided and split on how Alex should be raised. His mother, Melanie, has become deeply concerned about the school system in the UK, and she's hoping to shelter her son a bit. But here's the issue. She isn't even Alex's legal guardian. That role belongs to Alex's grandmother, Susan Karyana, and her beliefs do not match Alex's mother's beliefs. Melanie, his mom, well, she has a history of living non-traditional. In 2014, she and her now ex-husband were residing in a commune in Morocco. So she's lived some alternative lifestyles before. Well, Susan has agreed to allow Melanie and Alex's grandfather, David, to take Alex on a week-long trip to Mirabella. Now, when the week is up, the three don't return. And Susan, his grandmother, is now convinced that they have fled with Alex and that they're going to adopt an alternative lifestyle in another country. Now, as the investigation into his disappearance extends through the next year, Susan, in a press conference and then in some news articles, begs for her grandson to contact her. She said the following in one statement. Alex, I love you so much, and please, please, please just get in contact with me. During that time, Alex actually does contact his grandmother once in a video message where he says that being with Melanie and David, so his mom and grandfather, is a million times better, okay, those are his words, a million times better than how he was living before. So David and Melanie, also in the video message, tell Susan that Alex wasn't attending school and that they don't believe in mainstream education. Now, during those first couple of years, authorities believe the three are living in Spain as part of a spiritual community. So that's part of that non-traditional lifestyle they're adopting. And the years just continue to tick by and Alex doesn't connect with his grandmother ever again. 
Well, on his 15th birthday, Susan posted on Facebook that she would give anything for just one more hug. She wrote directly to Alex in that post saying, Alex, please have some pity. I am broken. Please just give me a sign that you're okay. I think every day that you are in some far off place, living the life that your mom wanted for you, all I want to know is that you're still alive and well. It's been years of torture. My heart is broken. I love you so much. I just need to know you're okay. I hope I will see you again one day. Now, reports seep in that Alex has been sometimes living in a remote mountain farmhouse in the French Pyrenees. It seems a family there has allowed him to stay in exchange for doing jobs around the farm. Alex has started going by the name Zach, but he does seem to enjoy his time at the farm. He does chores and he often helps in cooking. And according to Mail Online, the owners of the home, Frederick and Ingrid, have even taken Alex or Zach, whatever they're calling him, they've taken him on trips to the beach. Well, the couple told the publication that from time to time, Alex would join his mother every few months as she would bounce from residence to residence. And the couple also said they just couldn't provide for Melanie the kind of spiritual community she was searching for. They also said Alex was free to come and go. They supplied him with his own room, and they even encouraged him to learn French and enroll in a proper school where he could receive some formal education. Now, through their generosity, a bond was formed, and the couple said Alex expressed a desire to return to normal life, but he was scared that he didn't have the proper documentation to be readmitted to the UK. Well, having empathy for his plight, the couple offered to drive him to the British consulate, but he declined that offer, saying he'll just find his own way. Well, then this summer, David, so remember, that's Alex's grandfather that abducted Alex back in 2017. Well, he was getting older, and he dies while still living in the commune. And knowing his death was imminent, Alex takes part in a meditation ceremony at the compound. Okay, whether it be the death of David, or the fact that Alex has grown some independence, or maybe Melanie was concerned the authorities were getting close to finding her, whether it be any of those things, Melanie decides to leave for France. And some reports say she is headed to Finland. But as always, with Melanie, uncertainty is the certain thing. And then it's reported that Alex did not want to go with Melanie and that he was ready to reunite with his relatives, especially his grandmother, Susan. So escaping the French Pyrenees commune, Alex begins hiking towards the UK. For four days, Alex walked and scavenged food wherever possible. He would help himself to gardens and fields throughout the countryside. Then in the early morning hours of day five, a delivery driver sees Alex walking alone. The driver said he was carrying a rucksack and a skateboard and a flashlight. And this was bizarre to the driver. A young boy, 3 a.m., and he's walking alone between villages. So the driver stops and he offers Alex a ride. And Alex accepts. And then through their discussions, the driver became even more aware that this situation was not typical. Alex revealed to the driver that his mother and grandfather had kidnapped him when he was 11. 
He told the driver about living in a spiritual community in Spain with around 10 other people. He explained how he had moved to France in 2021, and then he lived on and off in a different commune. Alex told the driver that his mother was a little crazy, but that she never imprisoned him. And then the driver told authorities that Alex didn't seem to have really any animosity towards his mother, but his strong desire was to find his grandmother and that he really missed his loved ones. Can you guys just feel for this 17-year-old, the conflict that he's lived in for these last six years? Well, the driver, only knowing him for a few minutes, felt that same feeling you're feeling. So he Googled the young man and he realized what he had stumbled into. He then allowed Alex to Facebook message his grandmother on the driver's account. And Alex wrote the following. Hello, Grandma. It's me, Alex. I'm in France. I really hope that you receive this message. I love you. I want to come home. The driver then took Alex to the authorities. And he is now on his way to reuniting with his grandmother, Susan. Okay, now Susan's too frail to travel to France. But the two have called and spoke over video. And in a statement, Susan said she cannot begin to express her relief and happiness that Alex has been found safe and well. She also said that when she spoke with him over video call, that she was so relieved to hear his voice and see his face again. But the search for Melanie is not over. Mail Online is reporting that Alex has claimed that his mother has gone to Finland to see the Northern Lights. And they are confirming that the search for her is extending across Europe. They are also reporting that the search is still active in France because the information that they are receiving from various sources isn't really checking out with the Finland story. So anything with Melanie is possible. Clearly, her past has shown that to be true. Now, in her statement, Susan asked that once she and Alex are reunited, that everyone grant the family some privacy. She said she wants to make the process as comforting as possible. There's some good news on this Thursday. And that's your episode of Rise and Crime. Merry Christmas to all you Rise and Crime listeners. Make sure you listen on Monday. We have a little special Merry Christmas wish from Rise and Crime and possibly maybe binged and murder with my husband. Uh, Keep sending me your case suggestions. I'm loving it. And before you leave... Could you hit that like button? And if you're on YouTube, make sure you give us a follow or subscribe for downloads. Thanks for being here. And you can join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules and keep safe out there.